Hey everyone, we hope you're enjoying these recordings from the Creo Conference. Just a quick note before we play session two. In this episode, Mike Gerald is going to share with us some really powerful stories from his experience living on mission with Jesus. And some of these stories are, are pretty raw and going to get graphic in some cases. And they deal with mature themes such as addiction and suicide and sexuality. And so I just wanted to warn you, if you got young kids around that might overhear uh, this episode, you may want to just save it um, for another time when you can listen closely and engage both emotionally and mentally with what Mike has to say, because it's really important and really powerful. We don't want you to miss it. Anyways, hope you enjoy session two from the Creo Conference. We're going to get started. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move into session two. And for those of you who don't know Pastor Bart, the man is a weightlifter, and he has a blue flame unitard that is out of this world. My life has never been the same since I saw it. So uh, if you are in need of listening prayer, just follow the blue flames, gang. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's press in together. Father, thank you for the gifts of friendship and food, good coffee of laughter. Thank you for connecting us uh, even this morning, asking your blessing on, on every individual uh, that I'm even covering with prayer right now. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, would increase your presence, sir, right now. We submit to you. Thank you that we stand on the shoulders of saints and prophets and apostles and deacons and all of those spiritual mothers and fathers down through the ages who have clung to the cross and received great joy from your affectionate embrace. So we ask that you would fortify us in our inner person even right now. Lord, if there's anything that any of us have carried in that the adversary is going to try to use to distract us from the pure gold of heaven's revelation today, we break those things off in Jesus' name. This is a safe place. This is a holy place. This is your place. Not because of the building, but because you have assembled your saints here today. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you. Three in one, be our king. Amen. So there's way more at stake than preference over a type of model or approach to try to be effective with ministry or making your 501c3 work. I'm just not interested in having that conversation because I think the why behind what motivates or drives us has to be that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That he came not for the righteous, but for sinners. That he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And if we're not, I think, motivated and feeling like a, 
a, a compassion, a sorrow, a drive, a passion, an energy by thinking about individuals' faces, pain, tears, potential, then we're most likely going about it in an effort to prove our own worth or significance, in an effort to make something work, to make the Heavenly Father who already approves of us proud of us. I'll never forget sitting across from a girl named Abby, and she struggled pretty hard with addiction. And I told her, if you, if you use again, you're going to be dead. I was talking to her parents like, you got to, you got to like call the cops on her. You got to, whatever it takes, you got to keep this girl alive. And she'd come in and sit across from me in the living room and she'd always like pop her gum and hair real tight back, lip gloss on, sort of apathetic, but a little desperate. And we'd have long conversations about her struggle and the stuff that she was going through had a little kid. I said, you use a gang, you're like, you're going to be dead. And then I got a call a few weeks later, she's dead. And I had to officiate a funeral, watching her little kid crawl into the casket and say, mommy, wake up. Mommy, wake up. And I'm like, how do I do this? And then you got a guy who, you know, I'll never forget arriving in a home because I got a call, you got to come over here. And I show up at this house and everyone's just, just in tears. People are outside, speechless. Come to find out this woman is engaged to a man who got into financial issues and struggles Felt like he had no way out. Had some depression stuff going on that he didn't talk to anyone about. And so he went off into the woods that day. Even walked the dog that morning. Went about his morning routine like he would do every day. Went out to the woods. Took his shoes and socks off. Stuck his big toe and the trigger of a shotgun and shot himself. I had to do his funeral. And I'm sitting across from a guy over lunch at a local brewery. And the first thing he says to me is, you ever like been into guys? And he's married with a couple kids. I'm like, no, why? He's like, I got caught having multiple homosexual affairs on my wife. It's not someone I ever would have pictured that would struggle with this, but he's cheating on his wife. I could see the pain in his eyes, the hopelessness. Thank God, I'll just skip to the end of that story. A community of people came around him 
and loved him and didn't judge him and listened to him and sat around fires with him for months and months and months, and now he's still married. His wife forgave him. They're working through their stuff. One night I'm on my back patio, and this girl, Siomi, who has the reputation of being the person with a foul mouth and the person who prays a lot in her workplace. And so whenever somebody needs prayer, they ask Siomi to pray for them. And so Siomi brings her boss, who's a very outspoken atheist, over to one of our barbecues, and she's hanging out on my back patio. And she gives me a heads up before she shows up. My boss is coming with me. She doesn't know that you're, you know, like a spiritual leader. She knows that she's going to a friend's barbecue, but she's also dealing with cancer. She's in bad shape. She's nervous. She probably won't want to talk about it, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. There we are on the back patio, and I could see that she's catching wind that some of us share faith convictions. And I could see her getting a little bit uncomfortable. And so I look at this boss, this atheist boss, who I could tell was a little uncomfortable with our faith dialogue. And it had come out a few minutes earlier that she had cancer. So it was out in the open. And I said to her, hey, what does it hurt if we pray for you? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? And she's like, all right, fine, do your thing. And so I'm like, is it cool? Like, we like to show that we're with you by just, like, giving you, like, a side hug or putting our arm on your shoulder or something. Is that cool? She's like, yeah, whatever. That's fine. And so we did. We came around her, had our hands on her. And I usually pray with my eyes open. My eyes were open, and I see this little tear come down her face. And then she immediately wiped it away. Afterwards, you know, she's went right back to being sarcastic and acting disinterested again. About three weeks later, Siomi's in my kitchen, and I said, how's your boss? And she said, her cancer's gone. <laughs> she went to the doctor, latest test results, cancer's gone. And I said, well, what did your boss say? She said, she's asking me to pray for other stuff now. And then I think some of you remember, last time I was here, I told you the story about my neighbor who was a good friend of mine. He would actually mow my grass when I wasn't home. He'd come and fix my lawnmower if it was broken, super mechanical guy, traveling nurse, actually, really smart, um, missional, actually one of our Microchurches exist because he brought people around his table who came to faith and then started a church. But this man lost his temper with his girlfriend on a night when he had too much to drink. And she, come to find out, 
got angry with him, hit him with a chair. He went and reached for a gun, shot her, killed her, shot himself. Bullet went up through his chin, out of his eyeball. He survived. He woke up in a pool of blood. He couldn't call anyone or talk, so he had to text his father. His father came over to the house and found him missing an eyeball with blood, pool of blood everywhere. His girlfriend laying there dead. He texts, I think I killed her. Next time I see him is in prison, sitting across a glass from him. And he looks at me and he says, am I going to hell? Am I done? Does God hate me? What do I do? You know, um, this is why. This is why we do what we do. It isn't because we want like a cool, new, different way of, of being the people of God. It's because we care deeply about a broken and hurting world. And the people around us in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our community are not interested in going into the setting where people sing and read on a Sunday. And if we don't go to them if we don't think about ways to like insert ourselves into the lives of hurting and broken people and sit amongst them and listen to them and be a part of their pain and be a part of their story. And we're called to be the light of the world. To be good news in the midst of pain and brokenness. To come around people that are hurting and offer hope. You know, these people, Bill, it's not the enemy. Abby, not the enemy. These people are not the enemy. There is an enemy who is a deceiver, and he's really good at it. He tells you things all the time about how you're not loved. How the Father is not proud of you. You've got to do more to earn it. You're not doing enough. He's lying to you, right, about your pain and your past and who you are and all of that. But he's also, he's lying to your friends. He's lying to your neighbors. He's lying to your coworkers. And people are enslaved. They're blind. They're dead. They need free. They need love. They need good news. They need the chains to come off. So what motivates us is that I just really want to see beauty. I really want to see beauty come out of brokenness. I really want to see people that are hurting and lonely. You know that the Surgeon General declared loneliness an epidemic. You're, the people around you are they feel utterly hopeless and alone. And I almost feel like it's inappropriate for us to go, to, to say to people that don't even have a context of a relationship with us, that are primarily acquaintances or strangers in our neighborhood or workplace, hey, would you like to come to this event in this place? 
with people you don't know, a speaker you've never heard, in an environment where you're uncomfortable. It's sort of insulting if you think about it. But if you were to say, hi, my name is Mike, what's your name? Would you like to come over and sit around my fire pit, right? Can we hang out tonight? I'm coming to your place for dinner. Sounds familiar, right? We've got to go to the people that God's called us to. And something beautiful can happen. I heard this story. A friend told me this, and I thought it was really, you know, a great, a great picture of the wild ministry of Jesus. He said this. He talked about taking his family to Yellowstone. And he said when he went to Yellowstone, he and his boys really wanted to see a bear in, a, in the wild, like a grizzly. And so they said, you know, all week long, like, we, we got to go find the bear. And it was like this big quest for them. We're going to go find a bear in the wild. We're going to find a grizzly. And all week long, they're, they're kind of driving around. They're stopping at different points. They're asking people, hey, have you seen one? You see the bear? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. It was out that way. And okay, so they're, they keep trying to chase it. They can never find it. They can never find the grizzly. Days are passing, right? They're feeling like the, the, they're, they're running out of time. We've got to find this grizzly. And so second to last day, they see a group of people standing along the side of the road and, and like a huge group of people, and they're all like watching in, in one direction. And so he parks his car going, maybe this is it. Maybe we're going to see the grizzly. As kids get out, they go over to the side of the road. They're looking to, they're like, do you see anything? Yeah, over there. And you see this guy with binoculars and this kid up on top of the roof of the car. And he's like, he's like dancing, excited, right? Everyone's captivated because they see this grizzly and her two cubs walking together. And they watch this like mesmerized for 40 minutes. Everyone's excited and they're like sharing in this joy together because they saw this wild bear and her cubs. After that, they're like, oh, they're all excited. That was awesome. They're talking about it. They get back in the car. And then on the way out, you know, about 30 minutes down the road, there's this exhibit for the grizzly bear right? And so they're like, okay, we should probably stop and see this. So they pull off and they go into this exhibit and there are grizzlies like from, from me to Bart, right? You can see right there, right up close, you see this grizzly. Within 30 seconds, people are just taking some selfies, kids are running off, playing on the playground, people are disinterested in the grizzly. And I think that what we've done is that we've said, hey, you can find Jesus. He's behind the glass on Sunday morning from 10 to 11. And people are bored. They're taking selfies. They've lost interest because what they're made to find is Jesus in the wild. You want to find me? You're going to find me amongst the poor. You're going to find me amongst the imprisoned. You're going to find me in the hurting places in your neighborhood. And maybe why so many people are numb or dead, lifeless, apathetic 
in the church is because they've lost the Jesus of the wild. And they settled for a Jesus that's predictable. You know where to find him. He's behind that cage. He's still big and powerful, but he's sort of tamed. Right? Jesus says, come and follow me. Go and sell everything you have. Come and follow me. And to follow Jesus meant put your boots on. Like, you don't know where you're going to end up at the end of the day. It's going to be an absolute wild ride. It's going to be filled with tears. It might be filled with flying objects going through the house because you find yourself being a peacemaker at 1 o'clock in the morning between a couple who calls you over because the wife finds out that the husband's cheating she calls you over because it gets really intense. You walk into the house and there's stuff flying back and forth. People are cursing at each other. There's, there's, there's uh, picture frames flying through the air. And you're trying to de-escalate the situation. Or you're banging on the door of a drug house. Because your friend's in there. At the end of the day, you go, you know what? <laughs> he's not safe, but he's good. I'm not bored. I don't even need to watch Netflix. The, the adventure is here. And the Jesus of the wild has invited us to walk with him on a journey that's filled with thrill and danger and beauty and transformation and death and pain and tragedy. And so many of us would rather watch from afar. We'd rather be consumer spectators that, you know, feel like we're living vicariously through our tithes and offerings, through the lives of people that are up on a stage. Jesus says now, like, I want my life in you. <laughs> Everything you saw and heard in me, practice these things. The things I did, you will do, and greater to the ends of the earth. Why would we settle for something that's less beautiful? Why would we settle for a Jesus behind a glass wall? I'm going to pause there. If you have anything to add, otherwise, I'd like to take a moment. and I'd like for us to process this together around our tables. Yeah, just to tag on to what Mike said, I mean, I think a lot of people are afraid of pain and death and inconvenience and sickness and broken people. So that's why they shut the windows and turn on the TV, spiritually speaking. Listen, gang, all of that stuff's going to find you anyways. It's coming for you anyways in your isolation, your alienation, and your loneliness. All of the things that you fear are coming for you anyways. But here's the thing. If you leave the house and you put your boots on and walk with Jesus in the practicalities and the mundaneness and the brokenness and the beauty of the everyday, he holds your hand while you walk through those things. And you don't have to do it alone. 
That's it. That's all I got. We went to pick my kids up from their gym teacher um, from his house the other day. They became friends with his kid. And so we, we get over there, and he tells me about how his son was at the beach. And at the beach, his son just started digging this, like, ditch, this trench in the sand, right? He's digging this, this trench. And as he's digging it, getting all excited, he just keeps digging, and he's got this whole thing going on. All of a sudden, these other kids start coming over and joining him. And he's like directing them, hey, you're over, right? Now all of a sudden there's this operation with like five kids and they're digging this big trench and he's telling me about it and I go, I think that's what we're supposed to do is play. I think that God's called us to create things, to, to invite other people to join and participate in the stuff that we're creating and doing and building and and digging, and I think so often we feel like we're just doing a duty, that we're like going through the religious motions of what we think God wants us to do. And I think about Ephesians 2, where it says this, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That You are the poema, the poem, the masterpiece, and God has prepared unique songs for you to sing. He's prepared like unique works for you to walk in. And the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so I think many of us are going, how do I paint by numbers and do what the religious institution has asked me to do rather than, Jesus, what is the song that you've put on my heart? What do you want me to do? What, what, what is stirring up within me? What are my passions and desires? If, if you were to live and he does, in me, through me, with me, in this home, in this neighborhood, what would you do? What are you, what are you stirring up in me? What do I want to see changed? What would I enjoy? What would be fun? How can I partner with you and what you want to do in this place amongst these people? I think we got to ask those sorts of questions. Because when I look around at some of the people that we're working with, I really feel like art, artists over mathematicians, I think, right? The church has been more mathematicians. Like, how do we, how do we get the numbers? How do we, you know? But artists are going, hey, you know what? I want something beautiful. Something that has deep meaning to it. I'm not just looking for huge crowds and big numbers. I want something that actually tastes really good, right? Taste and see. And so I think that, that question and inv invitation, when you look at someone and you go, you know what? To his point, you don't have to do anything. The job's already done. Jesus said it is finished. What is finished needs nothing else. Now, what do you want to do? 
What do you want to do? What stirs up in your heart when I go, you could do anything. I can do all things through Christ. What is the Spirit of God stirring up in you? What do you want to do? What sort of desires surface? Or where do you feel like, you know what? I have to do something about this. You're stirred up. I got to do something about this. I think either desire of like, what do you want to do? Or I got to do something about this is a great indication to this deeper yearning or calling. And we got to tap into that. We can't just be paint by numbers. What is God stirring up in you? And so when I look at individuals across our community, I see Marcy, who's lost a number of people, mental health field. So for her, you know, she is a mental health professional. She started a community around caring for people's deeper struggles that they're dealing with mentally and emotionally. She's got a lot of people coming out of addiction, a lot of people dealing with depression and anxiety, just pulling people together, and it's amazing. But she said, I can't lose another friend. That's what she's motivated by. I can't lose another friend. I got Fletcher who, you know, when Aaron said anyone can do this, you know, this... The, the call of God, we're all priests, we're all called, we're all disciple makers and missionaries. Every single one of us within each and every one of us is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You're all vocational ministers, Come all on. of you, Come on. every single one of us. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, that is your mission field. You are a disciple maker, you are a pastor, you are a missionary, every single one of us. And so this guy Fletcher is autistic. And he's an incredible musician. He plays like six different instruments. He's, he's got a beard actually longer than Bart's. With this big old beard. And this guy makes his own mead. And he plays Scottish flute, harp, lyre, bagpipes. He played the bagpipes last weekend at my house. He's got this group of people, Fletcher and the flutes, and he's gathering people. <laughs> He's gathering people around music, around music and mead. And he's got all these people that would never typically step through the doors of a church that are gathering around his flutes and his mead. Right? What, are the, what are the things that God's stirring up in, in you? And so when I say like this deeper the why, it isn't model because this is our pride and our like, um, our minds, we can get in a setting like this and you can like think about the holes in what I'm saying or you want to go back and debate or you want to, you know, sort of process, well, the old model isn't necessarily bad and you want to kind of argue about that stuff. I don't even care about any of that, okay? What, let's talk about like the stuff stirring up in you being motivated by the same things that Jesus was motivated for when he came to seek and save the lost, when he came not for the righteous, but for sinners, when he went for the joy set before him to the cross, when he wept over the city because he saw their hopelessness, let's be motivated by that and say, okay, who do I want to be with? What do I want to do? What do I have to do? What can I not help but do? because God is stirring this up in me, I'd love for you to process around your tables your passions, your desires, what's stirring up in you, what's the song that you need to sing. Okay? Just take a few minutes, put some 
cool music on for that too.